Nij, I remember a story a few years ago. I was sitting with a uh, a woman who had been uh, walking through a terminal cancer diagnosis, and she uh, wanted to meet with me. I was pastoring at the time and wanted to talk about this experience of trying to fit uh, her suffering into the story of God. How in the world do you understand mm-hmm. um, knowing you're going to die, uh, knowing that your your sort of physical life has come to a close, and um, and moving forward in that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult, um, journey to walk through. And she, she continued to ask this same question over and over and over again. Why would God let this happen? Why would God let this happen? Why would God let this happen? Um, I, I'm, I'm going to suspect that you, uh, in, in the classroom experience have had a lot of students who have to ask that same question. Um, why, would a loving God let um, these sorts of experiences transpire in our life? Why would God permit this stuff to happen? And of course, when we open our Bibles and read the very first creation story, the very first word out of God's mouth is the word let. Uh, Let there be light. God, uh, Colin Gunton was a theologian who uh, pointed out that um, one of the unique differences between the creation story and the Bible and the Islamic creation stories is that the Bible, God says, let there be light. But in the Islamic story, it's be light. Mm. So it's like almost forced light. Whereas right. for God, he actually is creating space for, for light. He's, he's allowing it, letting it. And then, you know, every time God creates something, let there be, you know, the fruit of the land, let there be the waters team with animals. You have this, this constant theme of let, of course, any, any, any of us, you know, that, that have walked this journey, this life of pursuing Jesus of, we have been allowed to walk through beautiful experiences and we have been allowed to walk through some very dark experiences. But of course, in order to have the possibility of love, in order to have the, in in order to be allowed love and grace and forgiveness and hope there must be as well the possibility for difficulty. The let creates space for both. Uh, in a world like our own, God has allowed there to survive, to, to kind of coexist, um, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And they both are uh, at, at play at the same exact time. Of course, Jesus taught a whole parable about the, um, the you know, th- this field that's got a bunch of great fruits and veggies and then a bunch of weeds and they're, they're all growing together. So the let makes a lot of space for um, the good things that God desires and a lot of dark things that the serpent brings into the world. You know, you've, you've walked through the experience of profound suffering when your daughter uh, was diagnosed with cancer and walking with her through that experience. Um, How did you wrestle with your faith? How did you wrestle with doubts in that experience? Yeah. You know, I've talked about this before, but, but, um, I think the you know I I've known people with cancer. My my sister in law had breast cancer, um, and uh, you know I've had relatives with with various difficult illnesses. But number one, when it happens to one of your own personal family members, especially a child. Yeah. Number two, I remember uh, when my daughter wasn't feeling well. She was fifteen months old, and my wife knew. She didn't say anything to me at the time, but she knew something really bad was going on. She had kind of a spiritual kind of intuition. And um, I remember having to go to the hospital and uh, we didn't leave for weeks uh, because of the beginning of her treatment. But 
Um, I remember when the doctor came in, you know, at first you try to rule out other viruses and, you know, abnormalities, you know, just hoping against hope it's something not that bad. So I kept, I kept hope that it was some just virus that was going to run its course. And then when the doctor came in and gave us the diagnosis, um, I remember just repeating over and over again, but she's just a baby. Mm. She's just a baby. How, and I, I didn't even know I, I'm, I was so naive. I didn't even know it was possible for a baby to have cancer. I thought, Oh, that's something for older kids. Like we'd watched the fault in our stars, uh, the movie. And so I had thought about kids older, you know, uh, having cancer and, you know, I've seen before teenagers and obviously older people, but the idea of a, of a baby can't even talk, mm. you know, well, you know, she was a little bit older, but, but, you know, it just seemed, um, barbarian for this mm. to even exist, mm. barbaric for this to even exist. Um, I, I never came to a point where I said, I don't think God exists or I'm never going to church. But how can you not have the question, what, do, what does God think about this? Hmm. And, and if God is the most powerful being in the world, the creator God, um, why, why is he allowing this to happen? Why is this hmm. okay hmm. in his book? Um, my posture at that time was... Um, kind of a emotionally disconnected sense of relinquishment. Like mm. we're just going to journey through this, um, knowing that, that you care because you've told us you care. Mm. Um, but I know why people leave the faith when they experience and see such deep suffering yeah. across the world, whether it's natural disasters like, um, we live on the West coast, Pacific Northwest. And when, um, was it, was a tsunami and Japan happened? It affected our coast. Right. And so many people died, but then it affected our air quality, affected our food, you know, and all kinds of stuff. And, um, these are massive world level events. What's God doing? And it feels like he's doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, it feels like that. It feels like he's doing nothing Absolutely. because we want some arm to reach down from heaven. Like it sometimes happens in the Bible where something is stopped, mm. pestilence mm. or something. Um, but it can feel overwhelming. I mean, human disasters like mass murders, right? Mass, you know, school shootings um, and then natural disasters. Here in, in Oregon, we had devastating wildfires. Mm -hmm. Right. And there was one point when I uh, was taking pictures of all of our belongings because we were watching the news and preparing to leave our house. Yep. yep. And um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story from that because it kind of, it's one of the scariest moments of my life. Um, the air was so toxic outside our house. Um, like 50, 60 times normal. And um, we put the kids to bed one night and I told my wife, I smelled natural gas hmm. and I had accidentally left the burner oh my uh, uh, on. So the gas was entering our house 
but we couldn't open the doors or windows to ventilate mm. because the smoke outside was more toxic than the natural gas. Mm. But we couldn't allow that my kids to breathe the natural gas because it, it, it'll suffocate you if it fills up your lungs. Right. So we were like trying to figure out what in the heck do you do? And so we put masks on our sleeping kids. Oh my goodness gracious. And then we opened the doors and let in the toxic air to push out the natural gas while running like seven air purifiers. And you just think, what's God up to in those moments? Yep. Yep. Is he watching? Is, is he crying? Is he, is he the one that's giving us these ideas to open the window? Like, is that Providence? Um, is he the one that, and oh, this was crazy. AJ, I realized sometimes when you flick a light switch, mm-hmm. it sparks. Yep. You ever what happened? Yeah. That oh, would yeah. blow up our house because oh, the gas yeah. had filled the entire room because I smelled it in the bedroom shower when I was showering. And so I thought if I flick the wrong light switch, like our house will go up in flames. Wow. And I, was thinking, and I th- this happened pretty recently. And I thought, you know, what is God doing? Hmm. What is God not doing? And how is this all part of the gospel? So I can see how this leads people to wonder about the goodness of God. Well, we 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 wa- we kind of want God to come in and just sort of fix it all, right? I mean, yeah. we, the the Greeks had this uh, in 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 Greco-Roman plays. There would be this often this character called the Deus Ex Machina, which is this character yeah. that would be. Um, they they would put essentially on a string above the play and they would lower the character down and it would be this godlike character. And then they would sort of wave their wand and make everything better. Mm-hmm. And the God of the machine, the God who would come down and sort of make it all well and right. There's some lingering desires in, I think, our theology for that same sort of thing. We want a God that... Um, that 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 sort of stoops down in, in on a string and just fixes it all. But what we actually find in this existence is that God sometimes allows really difficult things to happen and doesn't swoop in and make it all better right away. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, that's that's a that's a hard thing not only for us to think about in terms of God, but about humanity. You know, that we live in a world with suffering. We live in a world uh, where. Um, humans are allowed to do such horrific things. I think it was Abram Heschel. It wasn't Heschel. It was a uh, some Jewish scholar after the Holocaust was asked, you know, by by somebody. And I think I mentioned this in, in episode one, but they were asked, you know, where was God in the Holocaust? And this Jewish theologian said, that's the wrong question. The question is, where was humanity during this? Yeah. That God actually permits us to do just the most ridiculous things, um, and permits it. And, but, you know, of course, we're t- caught in this tension between on one side, God allows it and is disengaged, but on the other, the side that said God is making the suffering happening. So we're often torn in our theology between these two extremes, between kind of a deist God who's gone or a God who is like signing the bottom line and saying, yeah, let's make this horrible stuff happen. So in our theology, I mean, at the end of the day, Nijia, why does why does suffering change our theology? Why does suffering impact our theology? Why why do we begin to rethink what we think about God when we walk through um, moments like this that you talk about? Yeah, what I don't want to do is give really um, trite answers to people when they're going through suffering. I remember when uh, when you enter the cancer family. I think I've mentioned this before, but when you enter the cancer family. 
they um, they tell they talk about uh, for caregivers what not to say mm. to people with cancer. And it's funny, this list, which you would think no one should ever say, but apparently people do enough that you have to warn them not to say it. Mm. They say things like, this is what God wanted. Yes. Um, God just wanted another angel. Yes. I don't know. Stuff like that. Yes. Really horrible stuff. And, um, and and it's funny, like, um, people told us, because our daughter was just a baby, um, if you would have given her these types of foods, she wouldn't have gotten cancer. Wow. If you would have breastfed her more, my my wife breastfed a lot uh, for, for many years, but um, if you would have taken this supplement or not eaten these, food, you know, all kinds of stuff, mm. um, people want to give you this kind of advice. So I don't want to give trite advice, but, you know, I, I myself have lived with chronic pain. I have some really severe stomach issues that I've had for, since I was little and I deal with pain and I deal with suffering every single day, mm-hmm. every single day. Sometimes it, it literally affects my life where I can't do things and yeah. you know, things like that. There are a lot of things I can't do because of the physical ailments I have, uh, which I grieve. Um, and it's funny as a younger believer, you know, everyone kept telling me, let's pray, let's pray it goes away, let's let's pray for God's healing. And man, that would be awesome. Mm. <laughs> I would love that. Um and and Libby, my daughter, is one of those people, uh, stories where the cancer did go away. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was prayer, maybe it was, you know, a combination of all the wonderful things that doctors do. And but um one thing that I have thought about with my daughter and my own pain is my suffering has made me a stronger person Mm -hmm. and continues to clarify for me two things. One is what's important to me and Mm -hmm. also um, how much I yearn and hunger for a world without all of this. Yes. Yes. Um, You don't tell someone that on day one of their suffering. Yeah. But when people meet my daughter, she's uh, older now, they can sense a depth in her person. She's tough as nails. She is just so resilient. And I think part of that is the fact that she's gone through something horrible mm-hmm. yeah. and lives with literally the scars, but, but also that experience. And I feel like there is something that God does in us uh, in the experience of suffering, we've talked about this before, but Jesus, though he was a son, Hebrew says, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Yes. That seems kind of cruel from our perspective. But for some reason, the Bible talks about suffering as uh, an important part of growing up. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, um, there was a Stoic philosopher named Seneca. I did some study of his, of his works. And he has a very, in some ways, his philosophy co, co, you know, aligns with, with Paul, St. Paul, because uh, Seneca says this, I consider you unfortunate if you never experience misfortune. Mm, mm. And there's a scholar named Charles Talbert who talks about, he has a book called Learning uh, Through Suffering. And it's about 
the New Testament's understanding of paideia. Paideia means instruction or learning. And the ancient view, which was shared by the biblical world and by people like the Stoics, was that suffering is a necessary part of the human experience towards becoming uh, basically a deeper, uh, thicker-skinned person. Yes. And no one would ever wish cancer on anybody, right? No one would ever wish my chronic health issues on anybody. But I will say, um, I'm okay with living with it. Mm -hmm. And what the gospel means to me is not that I can pray a certain prayer and it goes away, but that God is with me. And and I'll, I'll say one more thing, and I want to hear more from you, but I study a lot of the world of the New Testament, and I've been doing some research on the Greco-Roman religions. And I came to this really interesting and, and what I feel like very encouraging conclusion. In the ancient world, no religion had a patron God of the weak, mm. except the Christians. Mm. Now you might have a healing God, like Asclepius. You might pray to Jupiter for health. You might pl- pray to the household gods, the, the Larry's, for benefits for your family, but a God who's actually stepped into yes. suffering yes. and said, uh, I'm going to experience this with you. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's literally nothing like this in the ancient world, a patron God of the week. That's remarkable. Back to funerals for a second. Why are we so bad at funerals? You know, the, the, <laughs> In, in moments of suffering, we, we're, we're quick to offer sort of tried advice and we want to fix the suffering of, of others. When in reality, we have a whole book, essentially a whole book that is instructions on how not to be a friend to somebody suffering, which yeah. is the book of Job. Job. Really, we have this story of, we, we come to the book of Job expecting it to have a set of answers to the problem of suffering. When in reality, the more and more I read it, the more and more it's about this is how not to be a friend to somebody in suffering. And of course, you've got these three, I call them his three blind friends, his three uh, friends who offer these these seemingly logical human explanations for why he suffered. Maybe, Job, you sinned. Maybe, Job, you um, did something to upset God. Maybe, Job, you uh, didn't do your devotions enough, whatever it may be. Uh, and the whole story leads up to finding out that these friends are are not are not embodying what God Yahweh had desired desired for uh, friends, and of course Job does not have an answer to suffering. The answer in Job is that God offers him his presence to those mm-hmm. in suffering. That's what he gives himself. He does not give answers. He does not offer trite advice. God gives himself his presence to yeah. people in suffering. Um, and so you know there, there's this. This line that you and I both, I know, love, where Paul says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who mm-hmm. rejoice. When we are with somebody who's weeping, it's really easy to try to get them to rejoice. Yeah. Where we try to cheer them up, up, cheer them up get, yeah. get through this, sort of, um, you know, get, you're going to get out of this. You've got a great future. The resurrection's coming. Uh, we got to move on, you know? And that just did not, it just, it's just the story of Job all over again. It's friends rather than sitting in the dust with someone who's gone through the suffering, offering platitudes and bumper sticker wisdom and advice. When in reality, my gut tells me that you, when you were suffering, your daughter was walking through you, what you were walking through, you weren't looking for someone 
with an uh, incredible uh, answer to why suffering is happening. You were looking for somebody to suffer with. You needed somebody in your foxhole with you. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel in some ways like an expert on suffering just from, you know, the kind of story of my life. But um, I remember I remember a theologian saying that he did a study of people in the hospital going through intense suffering and he, and he surveyed them on their needs. And the number one need that was expressed or problem was not pain. It was loneliness. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I can resonate with that. I can resonate with that because, um, you know, we're smart enough to know the person walking in the door doesn't have the answer to my problems. Mm -hmm. But for someone to say, can I keep you company? Yeah. Uh, for someone to say, I'm in this with you. Yeah. Like that means a lot. Mm -hmm. um, a, a good friend of mine, uh, when, when Libby was sick, um, he was passing through town. He, was, he lived far away, but he was passing through town. And he said, you know, he's an adult. He said, can I come meet Libby face to face? And that took some work because, you know, uh, she was immune compromised and but he did. And, and all he did was sit there and smile at her. Mm. Mm. And uh, I remember him saying it was just a great privilege. He's one of the few adults. There's only two or three adults outside of our family that actually sat in the same room with her in that first year of treatment. Wow. And he considered it just an immense privilege yeah. to just sit with her and smile at her. And um, I'll always remember that because, you know, you've probably been through some of this AJ, but we were shocked when, uh, when our daughter was going through her worst times that the people, some of the people closest to us never reached out to us. Mm. I think there's a little bit of, um, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. Uh, maybe some embarrassment. Like I don't, I just don't know how I can be helpful. You know, you have like platitudinal, like let us know how we can help. And we're not going to say, Hey, come clean our house. Hey, come wash our car. Like no one's going to do that. So we tell people like, if you want to help somebody be specific, yep. like we're bringing yep. a meal. What are your dietary needs? Yep. But you're, you're absolutely right that when we were going through um, the worst of it, uh, we just needed people to care. Mm -hmm. We just needed yep. people to care. Yep. Um, and it, it's shocking when the people that you think care don't ever reach out to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 disappointing. But also brings a bit of shame up in me and, and maybe others listening, knowing there are some times that I have not reached out to yeah. people in their need. And I find myself often saying, my, Quinn, my wife has pointed this out to me, that I will often tell the person, if you need anything, you let me know. And why that doesn't work is that just puts the pressure on the sufferer yeah. to, to do more work. Uh, and <laughs> that's not super helpful. Um, so yeah, there's... The, I, but I'm interested. I'm interested here, Nijay, in asking the question for those wandering through uh, uh, these experiences of suffering, who 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 are wondering about God and are struggling with doubt and are struggling to understand how God would allow this to happen. What is a discipline that we could practice in the midst of uh, of these moments? And I'll, I'll I'll suggest one, and then I'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, we have a we have a word. Again, I, I'll go back to the Psalms. I love. Um, 
Ellen Davis at Duke University says the Psalms are our first amendment of the Bible. They are our free speech to the living God. They are these incredibly vulnerable, raw confessions of what the psalmists are feeling and experiencing. Mm. And we have a word in the Christian tradition for telling God what is true. We call it confession. Yeah. It is telling God what is true. That discipline of confession to God in the midst of suffering is so important, so central of knowing we can express to God what we are feeling and experiencing and knowing we will have a listening ear. You know, there's a, there's a fine line in Job's story. He cries out in anger, but there's a specific point in the text where it says, but he didn't go so far as to blame God. Yeah. You know, there's a point where confession is healthy and good. There also comes a point where it becomes vindictive and we start putting stuff on God's lap as though it's his fault when in reality yeah. it's not. So there's a balance and we've got to not take the confession beyond its scope. But I've found confession in those moments of just being able to name what's true to God Confession really is important. I don't, how, yeah. What have you found to be true? Yeah, confession is important. Um, I think I thought you were going to say lament, and they're very they're very closely connected. But lament is a tradition from Scripture that I feel like we're only now recovering in kind of mainstream Christianity. I've written read lots of books recently. My friend Rebecca Eklund just wrote a book called Practicing Lament, and I think we want to get to the good news too quickly. And lament allows us just to sit in the unhappiness Mm -hmm. of suffering and evil and not jump right to, but then Jesus coming back, you know, I think there's the Bible does so much of this. There's a huge place for that. Um, And I think that's an important practice, even in the songs we sing in church is lament Mm. Um, I think finding creative expressions, whether it's art or music, um, the biblical text and also the ancient church was so creative in their expressions of worship and lament. And I feel like we feel like we have to be very prim and proper and write it out in very specific terms. But I think singing and crying and and, and wailing and, you know, tangible things, Hmm. um, are, are crucial. I mean, uh, you know, we blow out birthday candles, right? For seemingly no reason, <laughs> but then we don't have rituals of lament, hmm. yeah. right? We have funerals, yeah. but other rituals of lament as well. Um, and I think there's a place for that. One of my favorite movies that is kind of religious is called The Apostle with Robert mm, Duvall. Classic. You know that because he's Pentecostal. Classic. And, uh, you know, he he's one of the, that's one of the movies when I was in my early faith that taught me about spirituality. There's a great scene where Robert Duvall is staying with his mother. Uh, He's left his hometown. He's traveling and he's in the kind of attic and there's a window and and he's mad at God because his life's been turned upside down. And he's basically praying, but he's kind of yelling and crying out and lamenting. And he's like, God, you called me to follow you and I'm trying to follow you, but here I am. And you got me kicked out of my church. And And he's just complaining to God and it's loud. And the neighbors are upset and they yell at him and they call his house and his mother just takes the phone off the hook and then rolls over and smiles Mm. and goes back to bed. And I love that scene. And I used to show that scene to my students in my prayer class I used to teach because it normalizes lament and it Mm -hmm. normalizes 
having a real relationship with God where you just say what's on your heart and mind, where you say, God, this doesn't make any sense to me. But the beautiful thing about lament is you are talking to God, yeah. right? The worst thing is not to complain to God. The worst thing is to, is to reject God. Yeah, absolutely. And so recovering that kind of practice for suffering and lament uh, is, is, it's good for our soul. Yeah. It's good for our soul, even if the suffering itself doesn't change, because we're acknowledging God's presence and his listening. In uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Reflecting on the Psalms, uh, Reflections on the Psalms, which is his brilliant take on 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 a on a comment of the number of the Psalms, he he is talking about Psalm 22, which we've referenced a few times this last few episode these these last few episodes of Jesus on the cross, saying, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" There's a line in reflection Reflections on the Psalms where Lewis sort of pauses and he stops and he says, "Isn't it interesting that?" When Jesus cries this out to the Father, there is no recorded answer. Yeah. The Gospels record no audible voice. And of course, we have a couple instances of the audible voice of God. Mm-hmm. We have the Father saying, you're my son with you, I'm yeah. well pleased. In fact, the only two times that we have, it's the same exact thing. You're my son, this is whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And yet when Jesus cries out, where are you, God? Essentially, God, why have you let this happen? They're silent. Yeah. And it would be easy to interpret that as God's aloofness, when in reality, it is at that moment that the Father was near and dear. He was holding Jesus. I mean, He was as close as you can be in that moment. Um, and I think there's a lesson to be learned, and that is that in, in our suffering, God's primary response is not giving us answers, it's giving us Himself. And often we want the answers. But reality, what we need is we just need someone to be in the foxhole with us. So this summer we had the fires, and I'll close with this in our in our conversation about suffering. Nije, we um, here in Eugene had these the same fires that you had up in Portland, and um, they were catastrophic. Man, they were yeah. horrible here, just miles from where we're at. And a friend of mine who works in the Forest Service was telling me, you know, it, it, they were bad fires, but don't don't lose your hope because in the next ten to twenty years there are going to be whole varieties of trees that are going to come back that we didn't really even know existed. And the reason is there are seeds of some trees that only release their, their, their seed into the soil when there's a fire. So there's only, there are some trees that can only be planted as long as there is a massive fire, which is natural in the, you know, natural world of these fires. And when those fires take place, there are that there are going to be seeds planted that nobody could ever have dreamt up. And I, I don't know, you could just call me Pentecostal because that's what I am, but maybe that is a prophetic word or image for some of us that in those moments of profound loss and suffering and questioning, fire is horrible. Yeah. But there are whole species of life that come from fires that don't come from anything else. And it is not a mistake, by the way, that at the end of Job, Job gives an inheritance to his daughters. And obviously, you know, in the ancient world, men were the ones that always got the inheritances. And at the end of the story, Job gives it to his daughters. And those who have walked through suffering often become the best gift givers. They give the best, the most life away. So. Yeah. My, when, when I, when I um, along those lines, and I'll wrap up too here, when I see someone going through immense suffering, I often send them a YouTube recording, I think, um, uh, by by a singer, I can't remember her name, uh, of Be Still My Soul, the hymn. Mm-hmm. That hymn got me through 
some of the hardest times in my life. Because the hymn is really about trusting God. And there are a couple lines in there that stand out to me. Um, uh, my my favorite line in the in the hymn is all now mysterious shall be bright at last. Mm-hmm. In fact, I wrote a uh, co-wrote a book with some students about suffering and pain in the Bible. And the book is called shall be bright at last mm. Mm. because um, our faith and our scriptures tell us the God we worship is the God of the gospel, the God of good news. The Jesus portrayed uh, in the, in the Bible is God with us and for us. Yes. Um, And the Bible never tells us life is going to be easy, Mm -hmm. but I hold on with a tight fist, that hope that all those things I don't understand will make sense someday when God, when we meet God face to face. Yeah, that, that's, 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 that's a key essence of Absolutely. faith. Nijay, thank you for uh, bringing out parts of your story and your daughter's story uh, to allow us for public consumption to hear your own story. But thank you for offering that and being faithful to God in the midst of it and coming out the other side and giving us some gifts. We're the better for it. Yeah. Well, I believe in wounded healers and um, I, I've, I've relied so much on you as well as my pastor too. So thanks, AJ. Yeah, grace and peace.